0: Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. I was 18 and uh, I was painting a patio for a friend and, and just as a side job. I was, I was just graduated from high school and I was just getting started and and um, kind of very distracted, very kind of moving in my own direction, starting to get in a little bit of trouble. And a buddy of mine that I had met in church, I grew up in church all my life and and uh, never accepted Christ. And then this buddy of mine, his name is Dan, he came and said, hey, um, I see you're getting into some trouble. He showed up at this job that I was at. He called my parents and said, where's Ricardo? He's on my heart. And so... Um, he showed up and while I was painting, uh, he showed up and, and he said, Ricardo, God's just put me put you on my heart. I know you're starting to kind of drift um from from anything good in, in life, and if you want, you can come and live with my wife and I. And uh what and I was in Santa Clarita at the time and and <clears throat> he lived in Eugene, Oregon, and he said the most important thing that you can do is right now, just come with us, come, you know, take a vacation, go, come up for a couple of weeks and see if you like it. I went up for a couple weeks and I, I, I liked it and I loved it and hang, hung out with him. He was a youth pastor. And, and uh, so I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll move up there. And so I moved up there and my rent was $100 a week or go to church. And I loved money just enough to go to church. And I went to church and that's where I accepted Christ. And uh, yeah And Dan, Dan and Linda made a commitment to me, just like this man made a commitment to this, this gentleman, to say, well, "We'll do what it takes to reach a heart and a soul and a life." When we, when we have a title like our series title that says, "Why Not Us," the, the whole point of this, the series is, is to help us remove excuses. You know, there's no reason why you and I cannot reach this community for Christ. There's no reason why this church can't have two, three services, bunches and bunches of groups and all kinds of different crazy things. We can't, we don't have an excuse. There's no excuses. We've talked about several things. We've talked about um, God fights our battles. When he fights our battles, there's no reason to not fight battles. To not go into battle because we know that God is fighting for us. We've talked about there's no need to go big. You know, that that saying, go big or go home. There's no reason to do that because we just need to go and let God do the big thing. We think it has to be the big thing. We have to think it has to be the dynamic thing, the the miracle thing, or the moment that, that everything just changes miraculously. Well, that's up to God. All we have to do is just go. We talked about that. We, Pastor Dwayne, by the way, I'm grateful for him filling in last week and um, letting me prepare for football games. I told him I'd get back at him for that statement. And um, the one thing I did notice that he spoke a lot about during the service were small people, and uh, he never identified with those small people. But he is a small person, um, not in his heart. His heart is huge, and his faith is big. uh, But he talked about let go of the past, press forward toward the goal. We'll never grow if we continue to look back, but if we continue to press forward and let go of the past, which God has already done that for us, right? right. Our past is gone. Our sin is gone. We are new creations in Christ. We are new people and we're built. So this week, the, the, besides the title of Why Not Us, the, the, the subtitle would be Don't Check the Easy Box. Don't Check the Easy Box. In, in just a little bit, you're going to hear a story about someone who didn't check the easy box. But um, <clears throat> have you ever heard the saying, we're only willing to love as much as we're willing to hurt? Have you heard that saying? We're only willing to love as much as you're willing to hurt. And if you've ever had a first love and you had that love go south, the next love was you entered it much more cautiously. You entered it much more. If you've ever been hurt deeply by a loved one or someone that you love and they hurt you, that hurt is measured by the amount of love you gave. Quite often, the deeper the hurt, the more the love was deeper. And and that is sometimes why we don't get into relationships because I don't want to hurt. I don't want to hurt. I don't I don't want to go down that route of of experiencing that pain and experiencing that, that pain that someone can cause me. Because if I give them my love, they can also hurt me equally. And so we quite often only love as much as we're willing to hurt. And that's dangerous in the world of Christianity because Jesus experienced this on a whole completely crazy level, right? I mean, he gave his love completely to the extent that he died on a cross for us. I mean, that's love. If you're only willing to love as much as you're willing to hurt and he hurt all the way to the cross to death, isn't that crazy love? I love that. I love that. Have you ever spent time thinking should I should I love this person? I'll love if it's easy. I'll love if it's a simple way of doing it. I'll love if they love me. Kind of the conditional I'll, I'll, I'll give as much as they're willing to give. I'll love if they want to change. If they'll change, I'll love. If I'll love if it doesn't cost me. If it, if it doesn't have to come out of my pocket or out of my heart or out of my, my being. If it, I, I can love as long as it isn't gonna cost me anything. I'll love if they love me. Loving people's hard. Don't look at your neighbor, don't nudge. Don't say anything. Now's not the time to point fingers. Love is hard. Even those you're more naturally love, it still costs some energy. I like what one author said. Her name is Hosanna Wong. She says this. She says, do we consciously or even unconsciously ask the question: isn't there some solution to brokenness that doesn't take so much time? Is there a way for souls to be saved that doesn't take so much energy? Can we love without cost? I think the obvious answer is no. The obvious answer is we cannot love without it costing us something. We cannot love without the potential that it's going to create hurt in our lives because if we love and someone that we love hurts us or doesn't accept our love, even that in itself measures out the amount of hurt that we experience. How much are we willing to hurt? Maybe that's the question, not how much are we willing to love. Because as long as we measure how much we're willing to hurt, then we can say, that's the amount of love I'm going to give. And now, if we accept the challenge that Jesus is saying, we have to give it all and we have to love with everything, that's a big challenge. And I think God is asking us today not to check the easy box, not to check the box that says, I'm going to love if it's easy. I'm going to love if it doesn't cost. I'm going to love if I don't have to feel hurt. I'm going to love no matter what. Really, that's the message this morning. Our vision as a church is we see a church who cares about the needs of our local community by serving its needs. If we want to love this community, we have to be willing to give to this community no matter what the community thinks of us. A value that we talk about in our church is we see a church who is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. A hospital for sinners, what? You and me. We're here. We're the sinners, right? We're the hospital, we're the nurses, we're the doctors, we're the, 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 the janitors, whatever it takes to run a hospital. We want to be that because we realize that there are people that need Jesus and Jesus is really the only solution to their need. We have another value that we see a church who cares about those whom we call family. We care about each other. We love each other. It's not easy loving me but you have to, <laughs> and vice versa. I mean, some of us are hard to love. Now, you don't have to go through this personal evaluation thing, but it's, it's a reality that the longer we're together, the closer that we live, it's just like any family, there's gonna be a challenge here or there, and it's okay, but we're committed to love each other, amen? amen. We're committed to serve each other, Now, there's a tension that we have to deal with, and that tension is simply this, is that, and you'll notice this in this coming up story, the tension of the religious is how little can I do to find God's approval? Religious people will try and find as little to do as possible just so that we can make sure that God is appeased. But the tension for the relational, the, te- the tension for people who are true followers of Jesus, who understand that we are here to love people, the tension for them is I could never love enough to show how much God loves me. Do you agree with that? So if you're religious, you might use this as a little barometer. Am I trying to do as little as possible just so I can keep God happy? Or am I so relational and so in love with Jesus that there's no way I could never love enough to show how much God loves me? And I'm showing people all around me that story. This tension is realized in this, com- this story. You've probably heard the story before or some kind of use of the word Good Samaritan. It's a very popular term. We use it in our, uh, even in our culture that's not religious or not faith-filled. And so we use that term, but this story is powerful. And I'm going to read through the whole story, and then I'm going to come back to the beginning. And it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, Who is my neighbor? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It's a very simple story. We call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. We don't know. Some some theologians believe that it could have been a real story, that this actually happened. We don't know that for sure. But we do know that Jesus has been approached by this religious individual. And if religious people, religious people always ask, what must I do? Not what must I be? We have to be careful of that because, uh, and I'm, I'm a proponent of getting rid of the whole religious thing and understanding that it's not how many verses you read a day, how many minutes you pray a day, how many times you come to church, how much money you give, or any of those things. All those things are important to our growth and to our personal relationship with Jesus. But when we start counting them and we start measuring our, our our value as a Christian by how much we do, that's a religious experience. You're not having a relational one. And so the, the, the expert in the law says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? He thinks that he can earn it. And it cannot be earned. Eternal life is a gift. It's a gift because Jesus went to the cross. He rose again the third day. And today, by his grace, we are saved. That's the power. And so Jesus turns it on him and says, what, what is written in the law? You're the, you're the professional law guy. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, good job, that's the right answer. You got it right. And what this religious man was trying to understand is, wait a minute, wait a minute, I got it right, but I don't think you understand. I'm trying to figure out what to do. And so he challenges Jesus with one more question and says, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? He didn't want to define himself as a neighbor. He just wanted to know who to do things for. He didn't see himself as being something. He just wanted to do something. He's beginning to feel a little bit of an edge from Jesus. Is like, oh, no. And this is where you just don't mess with Jesus. You just don't ask questions like this because he's the creator of the universe. He's smart. And then he tells the story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. This was likely a Jewish man leaving Jerusalem after ceremonial practices. And and going down and he's beat up by all these robbers. Everybody in the in the in the Bible story has the context because they understand they live in Jerusalem and Jericho and all these places. It's about 17 miles between Jerusalem and Jericho and so they understand what's going on and what the ramifications are. There's this spot in this path, the 17-mile journey that uh, is kind of rocky and, and and where thieves and robbers can hide. So they get it. They understand what what's being told. And then He says, a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. This priest, a religious man, sees the man and walks on the other side. Do we have excuses for why we don't help? Why we don't love? Maybe this priest had been... Previously trying to be nice to somebody and wasn't treated well by the nice person or, or treating them by the person he was trying to help. I've tried to help some, some homeless people before and got a mouthful of words and some anger and some angst and all kinds of stuff that came out as a result of trying to help that wasn't helping right apparently. Maybe, you know, and, and as, as pastors sometimes, or as, as religious people, we feel like we've already done our thing. I've already prayed. I've already read my Bible. I've already given in the offering. I've already done what I should do, so I really don't need to do any more. Kind of that, I gave it the office kind of thing. Or we're just tired. Maybe the priest was tired of his priestly duties, and he didn't see... Helping someone is the priestly duty that he needed to do. We all have excuses. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, same thing, this Levite. Now, there's a difference between the priest and the Levite. The priest had a duty of helping with the offerings, but the Levites were the caretakers of the temple. And so he was already involved, deeply involved in helping The the spiritual things happen, the religious things happen, and it's easy for him to kind of look past the guy on the side of the road and say, I've already done my thing, I've already done my work, but he didn't. He, he He passed on by, and then Jesus does this crazy thing and says, but a Samaritan, As soon as he says Samaritan, all the Jews are like turning off the the message because Samaritans were the hated people of the Jews. Samaritans were um, mixed, mixed race, mixed religion people that the Jews hated. And so a Samaritan had no value in a Jew's mind. And as soon as Jesus is making a Samaritan a good person, this is like weird teaching. So whatever you have in your mind is the person who you could never imagine being a good person, put that person in this story. And that's the person that Jesus is describing as good. And he's saying, as he traveled, came where the man was, when he saw him, the first thing that happens is he took pity on him. Why? Because I think the Samaritan understood what rejection was like. I think the Samaritan understood pain. I think religious people live in a, high, in, a, in a high-minded, conceited, arrogant kind of approach to life. I think they think that they know it all, they feel, they, they understand it all, they, they have all the religious practices down, and as a result, they look down on people who are experiencing pain. If you had faith, if you were a good person, you wouldn't be going through this stuff. That's what religious people think. Relational people, like Jesus, recognize pain and do something about it. Jesus came from heaven not to have a party, but to die on a cross so that your sin and my sin could be forgiven. He didn't come so that he could just go, woo Let's just make heaven, uh, earth a happy place, and let's do everything we can just to just to get get. No, he he came and identified with the pain that you and I experience, and ultimately die for the sin that you and I caused. He took pity on him, and when he he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, two expensive items. It cost him. It cost him. A Samaritan, of all people, is showing pity on likely a Jewish man, and he's, he's spending his own stuff. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. This is not your normal response to the wounded guy on the side of the road. The, the Jews had their own way of doing things, and... and, and The religious had their own way of doing things and they got all their stuff done. And as soon as they got it all done, have you ever felt like you you got, okay, I, I did five minutes of prayer this morning, check. Did five minutes of Bible, check. I did my tithe check, check. I did my offering check, check. And I'm done. Now I don't have to even pay attention to the world because I've already done all my religious stuff. I pray before every meal. I went to my small group, I hung out at my Bible study, whatever whatever the case may be. we're, We're satisfied with what we've done, but Jesus is not asking us to be satisfied with doing. He's asking us to be satisfied with being. Being a compassionate person, being a person who sees a need and meets it. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which um, some theologians believe was two weeks worth of, of wages. Some others believe it was two days. We we're not quite sure, but he took uh, two denarii out. Look after him, he said, to the, to the innkeeper, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Neighbors go the extra mile. Jesus' people recognize needs and see them and go, we've got to do something about this. Neighbors stick it out. I love the word that this guy used on the video. He said, I stuck it out with him. He took this guy, he he put him in a motel, he bought him clothes, he got him a haircut, he he helped, and and this guy became part of the family almost. This is called sticking it out. This is called not checking the easy box. This is called saying, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to meet the needs of people. I want to introduce you to somebody. Her name is Chris Hart. And Chris, I want you to come on up. <clears throat> Chris leads a ministry called Four Kids, Two Kids, specifically helping trafficked kids get out of the exploitive world and into a safe world. Do you hear that? Specifically helping trafficked kids get out of the exploitive world and into a safe world. I met Chris several months ago, Mm -hmm. and um, Chris is involved in one of the rare ministries of helping these kids. And um, I was reading statistics on your website. I'm, I'm brokenhearted. that these kids don't have much attention given to them. And so my question to Chris the other day was, because I was at one of the houses that she's developing right now to minister to um, these kids that have kids. And so these are kids that have been trafficked or gone through it and are parenting kids. And um, I asked Chris, I said, Chris, why are you doing this? And so in brief, like you did the other day, um, if you can, um, tell us why you are ministering to these kids, why you have not checked the easy box.
1: Okay. So, and I want to start real quick by saying it was really difficult. I, just like the enemy uses us, so does God. So um, last night I didn't get any sleep and I kept praying, wow. saying, you know what, Satan, I'm stepping on your neck, stepping on your neck, because he didn't want me to do this today. ha. <laughs> So uh, I, was, um, I was homeless at 18, and, um, and then I lived in my car with a baby. Um, with, um, so it was, I could have been one of these kids if the Internet was alive and well back then. And, um, and it doesn't matter how, many, um, how much service work I do, how many children I help, or anything, um, because God sees fit. And, and I, I understand that I'm, I'm reborn, and, and all my sins are forgiven. I get all that. But God sees fit for one memory to stay fit, I mean, stay clear as if it was yesterday in my mind. And, um, and that is... Um,
0: it's hard. It
1: is hard because it's... Um, it's, it's okay, so, um, so I was in a basement with a needle in my arm and a bottle down my throat. And, um, and I love my children more than anything in this world, anything in this world. But unfortunately, my disease loved me more. And, um, and I had this little girl, she wasn't even five yet, and she was sitting out there knocking on the door and all she wanted was her mother to come out and feed her. And I couldn't, because my disease wouldn't let me. And by the time I made it out, she was asleep. And, um, and that's, that's the one memory that is clear as if it happened just yesterday. Now mind you, that's going to be 26 years ago. And because of that experience that I went through, and um, it has allowed me to have the empathy, the compassion, and everything needed to meet these young people exactly where they're at, without any judgment, and be able to bring them forward. I can have the empathy and compassion with their parents, with them, And just love them so that is why I don't check the easy box
0: yeah and today she is running you have four homes right
1: yes so we have a home for young women between the ages of 12 and 17 we have another home for young women between the ages of 18 to 21 we have a home we're opening right now for young women that are pregnant and parenting we're just now opening um, for 18 to 21, and we have a home for young men who have not been trafficked, but they're just amazing young men that are bettering their life on a daily basis between the ages of 18 and 21.
0: Yeah, so she's doing something and being something to these girls and to these guys, and my point and, and my desire to have Chris up here is to illustrate that this isn't an ancient story that can't be replicated today. This isn't something that's irrelevant, that, that can't be uh, carried on to another level of, of opportunity today. We have an opportunity today to invest in her ministry and other ministries and other ways of ministering to people that we must do we, because of who we are. We've experienced Jesus in such a loving, caring way that we could not do anything but love others, right? And that's what you've experienced. And I think one of the things that gives her compassion is her experience, her past. We don't live in our past. We don't let our past define us. We don't, uh, but we do let our past tell us that, um, I believe in, in this passage from 2 Corinthians, that God is the God of all comfort, who with the comfort we've received will comfort others. I have a deep compassion for pastors who fall to anxiety and depression and these kinds of things because I went through it. What my experience has given me. There's opportunities in this room to do things because of what you've already gone through that you can reach into the lives of those same people that are going through what you've already gone through. And Chris is doing that very thing. I just want to mention this, that um, I, I was visiting her the other day and walking through this new house that they're opening for um, moms that are, are, are either pregnant or parenting and uh, we need about I think we need about three thousand maybe four, thousand dollars to finish this house and uh, if you're interested in helping with that at all let, let us know and um, we'd be happy to make it happen. We got some construction guys in the room that I think I'm going to call on to help as well get all that done so we're excited about that but Chris, thank you so much for being Jesus to thank kids. You. And loving them. God bless you. Thank you you for being here. She's a a fierce competitor with the enemy. And we win when we fight the enemy, right? Because the battle is the Lord's. It's not ours. And the enemy wants to do everything he can to beat up on opportunities. So thank you again, Chris. Which of these... Three, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Mercy does not need reasons to love. I love this comment. Mercies do not need reasons to love, nor does it make excuses not to love. And today, what I believe God is calling us to is to evaluate our own hearts with the tension that I mentioned earlier. Are we religious people only trying to do as little as possible to find God's approval? Or are we relational people that have a personal relationship with a loving, caring, forgiving God who is saying, I love you so much. And we've experienced that love to the degree that we can never love enough to show how much God loves us. Are we willing to do something, be something, more than just do, more than just think in a religious context, the reality is if we want to be neighbors, we must be one. If you you notice in this story, Jesus flipped the script. He said, who is my neighbor, the religious guy said, and at the end of this, the point is is that the person who loves is the neighbor, is the neighbor. You and me, we are the neighbor. If we want to, it's not about who is out there, it's about us being neighbors. And when we get that opportunity to be Jesus to this world, we become a neighbor to those that are hurting. And I realize you're thinking right now, am I willing to hurt to love? Am I willing to give of myself? Am I willing to give my time, my energy? Am I willing to rearrange my life to care for people and to love people? And the Bible is calling us to that. He's not calling us to passivity. He's calling us to be aggressive lovers of people. And when we love people, they are introduced to the very love and nature of who Jesus is. You guys, today I believe that God is is doing something unique and powerful in this church. He's asking us to be willing to let love cost us. He wants us to be willing to hurt. He wants us to love when it's not easy to love. He wants us to, to go and reach and touch people who are not easy to reach and touch and love. And when we do, we will see great things happen. Let me give you just one last example. Super Bowl. It's next week. And I I would love to have a Super Bowl party here. But don't don't clap or anything like that because it's not going to (laughs) happen. Why? Because the culture that we are trying to create at Journey is not to take moments like that and make them about us. The Super Bowl, New Year's Eve, Halloween, 4th of July. We will probably never have events on those days. Why? Because I believe that we need to do what it costs us. Is to go into our neighborhoods, invite our, our families, invite our, 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 our unsaved neighbors, whoever, whatever we can do to do something when it's a natural opportunity to do something. The Super Bowl is a great opportunity to say, hey, neighbors, come on over. You might have to buy a 75-inch big screen TV to do it. Bummer. No, you, you understand what I'm saying? I would love to have a party for us, but it's not about us. Let's take the Super Bowl. Let's take New Year's. Let's take Halloween. Let's take Fourth of July, whatever those holidays are that normally we'd have these big events for the church. And let's not do that. Let's go and be Jesus to this world. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I came to Christ because someone named Dan and Linda Huff said, come and live with us. I'm a result of an investment. You're likely the result of someone's investment, especially in prayer. If you're here today and you have yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, someone invested in you to get you here. Someone invested you online to get you to watch this today. Maybe God is just prompting your heart, but He loves you so much that someone, a good Venturan a good good Oxnardian, a good Santa Paulan, a good Phil a good Ohioanian, a good Santa Barbarian. No plan words there. Whoever you are, and you had someone that was willing not to walk on the other side of the road, but to look you in the eye and say, come to church with me. I have a Jesus I want to share with you. Today, you have an opportunity to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I want to invite you right now just to say yes to Jesus. All you have to do is pray this prayer, and it's a simple prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I admit that I've made mistakes. I've done things against you, God, but today I ask that you forgive me of that sin. And I thank you for for your forgiveness. And I believe that you were raised from the dead. And as a result, today I have eternal life with you. And I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that simple prayer, maybe for the first time, maybe you're coming back to Jesus, that's the prayer that you pray to accept forgiveness from your sins and eternal life with Jesus Christ and the rest of us for eternal life. And we're very excited for you. So what you need to do, take a connection card in front of you. Let us know that you did that. And we're going to help you with your next steps in your faith with Christ. And for the rest of us, I just want to encourage you today. Keep your eyes open for what God wants you to do to be Jesus to this world. Invite your neighbors over next weekend. Have a good Super Bowl party. Make it just a fun time just hanging out with your your friends and people that may not know Jesus and enjoy that time planting a a simple seed of faith into their lives. Pray before you have that time. Don't pray for your team. Just pray for it. I mean, you can pray for the Rams or the Bengals. If you're on the wrong side of the fence, pray for the Bengals. I'm just kidding. Just kidding have a good time, and let's reach this community for Christ. Forty miles of prayer is coming up. I'm going to tease you with that because it's going to—it's a game changer, and I believe it's going to be powerful. So, keep that in your, in your psyche, and you'll hear more about that later. God, thank you so much for a great day. Thank you for a great morning of child dedication, worship, and your word. And I pray that we would be good people, people that represent the heart of the Samaritan. Represent the heart of you, Jesus, who loves people and is willing to do whatever it takes to not check the easy box, but even to check the hard box for those that are difficult to love. Help us love them into your kingdom. I thank you and I praise you for it. I give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.